Are you looking for answers to life's biggest questions like, who are we? What does it mean to be a human person? What does it mean to be a Catholic in America today? How can I be a prophetic voice in our culture? The Center for Faith and Culture at the University of St. Thomas in Houston now offers its MA in Faith and Culture online. This program transforms students by immersing you in the historical, cultural, and theological patrimony of the Catholic tradition so that you'll go out into the dominant American culture and leaven it with the good news. Students can audit courses, get an 18-hour certificate, or go for the entire MA program. For more information, Google Center for Faith and Culture, the University of St. Thomas. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Dr. Stuart Squires. I'm the Associate Director of the Center for Faith and Culture and Associate Professor of Theology at the University of St. Thomas in Houston. The Center for Faith and Culture, celebrating 25 years, brings the Catholic voice to the ongoing conversation about the meaning of life and the liberty and pursuit of happiness we hold in common as Americans. Today's guest is Dr. Victor Sines. Dr. Sines is the Executive Director of the Houston Institute and a lecturer in the Rice Philosophy Department at Rice University. Uh, He completed his PhD in philosophy at Rice in 2018, where he wrote a dissertation on Aristotle's account of the moral virtues in the Nicomachean Ethics. His research interests include ancient philosophy as well as ethics and bioethics. First of all, Dr. Sines, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'd like to talk about um, uh, a variety of things, but but um, around the question of, of moral virtues. And the reason why I want to talk about this today, I, I think, is because, and, and I'm not the only person who've said this, is that we live in a, an overly litigious society. Mm-hmm. And, and that certainly means that there's a lot of court cases. Yeah. But I think we have a, a, a litigious mentality. Yeah. Uh, to put it briefly, I think we have become the Pharisees that Jesus criticized <laughs> in the in the gospel. That's so right. I think the antidote to this litigious mindset is is um, uh, virtues. Yeah. Of course, Aristotle's the the probably the greatest philosopher who ever wrote on virtues. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. That's but what, before we get to that, why don't we start with a, a, a brief biography of Aristotle? Who was he, and why is he important? Sure. No, of course. So you know, it's it's funny. Uh, that you you want to start there, you know, f- philosophers, especially philosophers nowadays, tend to be so much about the argument. You know, we often forget that there's a real person behind the argument. So Aristotle lived squarely in the fourth century before Christ in Athens. Uh, he was uh, one of Plato's all-star students um, in uh, Athens, even though he was born in in uh, what is now Greek Macedon, Stagira. You know, hence his nickname is Stagirite, right? So, um, why is Aristotle important? Uh, so, it's one could ask this question as meaning important to whom, right? So, if we're thinking about important for philosophers, if you were to draw up a list of the top five philosophers, whoever wrote anything ever, you know, he's on the list, uncontroversially. Uh, I don't care who you are, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think, secondly, uh, if we're looking at uh, the Catholic tradition, you know, look, I'll get this from the uh, angle of the Center for Faith and Culture. You know, Aristotle is uh, a absolutely central part of uh, the Catholic tradition. 
um, to speak to uh, the first uh, first of these aspects. You know, it's it's uh, it's funny if you look at philosophy in the 20th century, especially ethics in the 20th century, and you just have this like list of all-star philosophers who draw their inspiration from Aristotle, right? So th this just goes to show that uh, not only was he important for what he said, but he's important for what he still says to us today, right? And uh, this is, is important also in, in the Catholic setting, um, as we see, especially in the example of, of Aquinas. Um, but but that's that's uh, just a little bit about what's... Before we get to... And I do want to get to the importance for Christianity and yeah. why, we, why Christians have embraced him and should we do that. Yeah. Um, let's just get back to your first point about yeah. he's on the top five list. Yeah. So what... What did he do that makes him on the top five list uncontroversially? Oh, my goodness. So, uh, you know, he arguably, uh, he's the first to develop a system of formal logic. Uh, he was uh, basically a kind of empirical metaphysical biologist. So he's going around, you know, studying uh, all these different animals and classifying them and all these different things. So the, uh, you know, current uh, taxonomy uh, you know, of, of scientific taxonomy of animals we draw from Aristotle, right? Uh, most of the um, major arguments for God's existence in the Middle Ages, uh, which are still invoked today, come from Aristotle. You know, one of the three major ways of thinking about ethics in the 20th century we draw from Aristotle, right? Um, one of the major traditions of political theory uh, that again, still invoked today, we draw from Aristotle and on and on and on and on and on, right? So I, I think if we were, uh, if we were to name uh, a single philosopher that was most championed uh, in uh, the Middle Ages, actually, I don't know that I want to qualify it that way. One of the most <laughs> uh, you know, championed philosophers in the Middle Ages. Um, I'm looking at all the medievalists and the uh, you know the Center for Thomistic Studies sure. who cringe at, uh, at the thought. <laughs> Aristotle is surely among them. And if you look at the early modern period, um, you know the the whole early modern project. One way to think about this is precisely as a rejection of Aristotle, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, fast forwarding again to the 20th century um, in folks thinking about ethics, uh, which I like to think about a lot, uh, may, there's a big chunk of philosophers who see themselves as, as saying, hey, we need to recover the thought of Aristotle. So why is he important? Uh, because of his absolutely unparalleled influence. I mm -hmm. think that's that's one way to think about this. Um, Aristotle was a pre-Christian Greek philosopher, but you've already mentioned uh, Christians like Thomas Aquinas drew on his philosophy yeah. to help shape Christian thought. Uh, but of course, some uh, Christians like Martin Luther, who called the Catholic Church the Aristotelian Church, and he meant that as a slander, <laughs> um, believe that using Greek philosophy corrupts the gospel. Um, why is it okay or even important for Catholics to rely on uh, non-Christian thought in general, but Aristotle in particular? Yeah, good. So I, you know, what's interesting about Martin Luther, and I'm not, not an expert in theology here, but I think what's just clearly the case is that uh, he's presupposing a certain account of human nature, right? Uh, and of course, that, uh, you know, the question, central question becomes is, well, is that account of human nature true, right? He's also presupposing a certain view about the powers of human reason. Um, and I think there, at, a, at its root, we just have a radically different reading of sacred scripture, right? So why, you know, to, to your question, why is it 
desirable, you know, for Catholics to look to Aristotle um, and not not merely uh, not merely permitted but desirable. You know, I think in doing so, we're just following the example of the early Christian fathers, right, who uh, try to take the very best of, of pagan thinking. You know, what's what's interesting about you know philosophy in the Hellenistic period after. Uh, the death of Aristotle, you have all these schools, you know, or, arising, you know, where where philosophy is not just seen as an academic discipline, but it's very clearly a way of life. Mm-hmm. You know, arguably you had that uh, even in Aristotle's own day, but it, it's almost like you have these philosophers, and I'll get to the Christian bit in a moment. Yeah, this philosopher is almost writing like self-help manuals, right? So you had like, you know, the Stoics, the Epicureans, the skeptics. It's like, hey, you want to be happy? Here's how how you how you become happy, you know, get rid of all your, all these desires that are, you know, making life hard for you, or you're just conform to the nature of the universe, right? It's, it's all fine. Don't worry about it. Right. So, uh, you get the early Christian father saying, Hey, yeah, that's all that great. That's all great. But here's the real philosophy as a way of life. Right. And they, they very self-consciously see themselves as, uh, taking a place, uh, where, you know, this is the true, uh, philosophy as a way of life, and at the same time, they say we can draw the very best uh, from from pagan philosophy for our thinking. So, if nothing else, uh, I think it's not at all an exaggeration to say that that Luther is at odds with that uh, to that way of thinking, right? Um, and and I think uh, why why is it good to look to Aristotle in a way where we're uh, just imitating the example of the early Christian thinkers? Is there anything in Aristotle's thought that should make Christians hesitate? You know, so <laughs> you get so some people are natural slaves. You know, women are naturally inferior. Um, you know that there's you know me, ma, manual work uh, is you know demeans the powers of the mind. Um, you know, uh, those are probably some of the you know most common charges uh, pressed against Aristotle. Um, but I, but I think you know what's what's beautiful about the Catholic tradition, and this gets to uh, to reading Aristotle in a moment, what's beautiful about the Catholic tradition is that it recognizes, um, as it were, that uh, reason has its own domain that's intimately related to, but um, must be oriented towards uh, the truths of revelation. So all this to say, what, is, what does it mean to say that uh, reason has its own domain? is that it can fail by its own standards. Mm-hmm. Let me give you an example, right? So uh, if an argument uh, is question-begging, it's like I don't need to appeal to the goods of Revelation to show mm-hmm. you that that's a bad argument. So I think when reading Aristotle, uh, you know, Catholics should see someone from whom they have a lot to learn, but at the same time, you know, they're they're not reading sacred scripture, right? So they're, uh, they should be uh, very willing and ready to engage their powers of reason and this should should lead us to see well look we know women are not naturally inferior we know that there are no nat- uh, that there are no natural slaves you know we know we know and 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 so so i think uh there is uh definitely a lot to benefit from uh from reading aristotle despite the fact uh that that some of these uh some of these things might need correcting uh, foundational to his er- uh, his ethics, um, our virtues I already mentioned that earlier. Specifically, the four cardinal virtues: prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. Um, what are they, and why were they so important for Aristotle? Why did he spend so much time talking about them? 
Yeah, no, good. So uh, you mentioned the cardinal virtues. What's what's interesting and to me uh, was very puzzling was that it's very clear that uh, even in Plato's day, you know, and prior to Plato's day, there's this you know tradition of of you know the, the major virtues or, or whatnot. They uh, it's fairly clear um, that these are regarded somehow as special. But what's interesting is that when you get to Aristotle, um, he doesn't give you just four cardinal virtues, but he gives you four cardinal virtues and then some, we might say. <laughs> so he's got like 10 virtues uh, in his list. But so uh, to, to actually answer your question, so um, even though they're not, he doesn't refer to them as such, um, you know, it's very clear that uh, prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance have a significant role to play in Aristotle's ethics. And I think one, you know, there's lots of ways to to look at this, but I think a right way to look at this is, um, for Aristotle, is, you know, what is, uh, what really brings the genuine good of the human person? You know, what's genuinely going to make a person happy, right? So, and this is at the core of Aristotle's thinking. And it turns out that, on his view, uh, if you're going to make uh, some a person happy, uh, you need to uh, help that person act according to his nature. Okay, Victor, that's high and abstract. What does that have to do with the <laughs> cardinal virtues, right? So it turns out that, you know, uh, reason is what makes us distinctives from animals. Uh, it is by the use of our reason that we think so as to make choices. That's prudence. Um, you know, when we make choices, we inevitably do so as the social animals that we are. You know, we are, Aristotle famously says, by nature, social uh, social or political animals, depending on how you translate this. So our duties to others are matters of justice, right? Uh, this is not something imposed from the outside, but we are just the kind of animal that works in groups. You know, I, as, as I sometimes like to say, following the work, uh, work of, of one scholar, uh, her useful turn of, turn of phrase, we're like really complicated bees right it's like you never you never really think of you know the good of a bee in isolation you know it's always the good of the bee a bee within the hive sure. so our duties of justice right uh emerge in part from from our social nature as i read aristotle then we get this whole this whole business of our having desires that we share with other animals so you know so we've got uh, famously, our appetitive desires, food, drink, and sex, right? So that's where, uh, you know, Aristotle tells us about the importance of the virtue of temperance, right? We're, we're not, you know, he famously uh, dismisses, you know, the life devoted to sensual pleasures in like one line of the ethics saying, well, gee, you know, uh, if I live my life oriented primarily around food, drink, and sex, it's like, you're kind of confused about the kind of thing that you are. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're not an animal, you're a human, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, and there's much higher goods and, and, uh, and even how much higher pleasures mm -hmm. uh, that, that you can draw from this. Uh, finally, you know, about courage, you know, so similar to our desire for, for pleasures, we have uh, this kind of spirited element uh, in, in our soul, you know, it, it's, you know, primary way in which this, this is, uh, manifested is anger, right? So, and again, this is something like food, drink, and sex that we share with other animals, right? So, you, 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 we, I think we speak intelligibly about dogs getting angry. You know, we we, we speak intelligibly about uh, you know dogs uh, or other animals having a sense of hierarchy, 
right? It's like, where do I fall in the hierarchy? Oh, somebody's you know taking my place. I'm the alpha dog. Don't you get it? What are you doing, right? So, uh, you know, these reactions to, to threats, uh, whether to ourselves or to those in our community, uh, are, are ultimately matters of justice. Um, so, again, even though Aristotle doesn't give you uh, the four cardinal virtues in so many words, these certainly play uh, a central central role in his ethics. Um, you know, more virtues beyond that, but I think the the key idea is is to say, look, you know, Aristotle is looking at the kind of animal that we are as the kind of metaphysical biologist that he is, and he's asking what makes for the thriving of mm-hmm. the human person. So that's that's his point of focus. You mentioned several times that he's comparing us to animals, yep. and in our secular culture today, we often do that. They, you know, um, rejecting the idea that we're created in the image and likeness yep. of God. A lot of people, and I'm sure philosophers yep. in particular, say, "Well, we're just a different type of animal." Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's what Aristotle was doing. He wasn't just. Yeah. I mean, obviously, he wasn't reading Genesis and, and using <laughs> that language, but. I guess my question is, yeah. when he compares humans to other animals, yeah. how is he doing that differently than how we often in 21st century America yeah. compare uh, animals and humans? How is he doing that differently? Yeah, no good. So um, I don't, uh, it's hard for me, you know, as I sometimes tell students and friends uh, who are not philosophers, you know, sometimes I feel like you spend enough time reading philosophy, uh, you lose a grip on whatever intuitions you might have about what the wider culture does or doesn't think, right? So uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure how much I can tell you about uh, the wider culture's views about humans as animals. But I can say this, is that um, for Aristotle, the distinction between the human animal and all other animals is not just a difference of degree. Mm-hmm. It's a difference in kind, mm-hmm. right? So, so it's not just like we can do, you know, other animals can do X and we can do more of X, mm-hmm. right? We've got something that's, you know, absolutely in a different category, right? The powers of reason, uh, in his view, uh, puts us just in a totally different category. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, you spoke about Genesis. Um, you know, there, there's some, Highly controverted passages in Aristotle in the De Anima, uh, which uh, later thinkers read as Aristotle affirming the immortality of the soul, mm. right? Precisely because of the way that powers of reason are different, right? Mm-hmm. So this is uh, a, you know a, a non theological argument for uh, the you know persistence of the soul after death. Um, was that actually Aristotle's view? That's hard, right? <laughs> but uh, but there's there's a good case to be made, right? Okay. And, and in some ways, it's not it's not surprising gi- uh, given that that was Plato's view, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't I don't have a strong view about right. this, but there's certainly um, there's certainly the rudiments of a highly sophisticated argument uh, uh, for for the immortality of the soul there, and that's that's how a lot of the later later tradition uh, will read it. But to your questions, uh, major difference in kind, and okay. not just difference in degree. Okay. I guess one example I was thinking of, in, um, back in the 90s, you might remember, there was a woman, um, she wasn't mm-hmm. even trying to protect animals, she was actually yeah. pre- protecting trees. She climbed up a tree in, the, I think it's Seattle, or, or Washington huh. State somewhere, and she lived up there for like two, three years, yeah, 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 and, the, yeah. I, and, and she did that because to, to prevent... Um, um, lumberjacks coming in from cutting down the trees. So in other words, yeah. she's willing to sacrifice her life yeah. for a tree. Yeah. And 
I mean, that's coming out of a particular way of understanding the human person yeah. and, and how we aren't any different. In fact, in that view, it seems to me saying we're less than trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, some people thought she was kind of a little off the reservation a little bit, but there wasn't any sort of fundamental critique of her way of hmm. thinking about the human person. And to me, that's always stuck in my mind of yeah. symptomatic is the way our secular culture thinks yeah. about the human person today, yeah. that, that we're even less than trees. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. So um, what would Aristotle make of that case? I'm not sure, but I, but I think here's something where uh, here's the kinds of considerations that he would certainly want to put in the forefront, right? So, especially given our nature as as social animals, right? It's like you and I uh, have all kinds of obligations to all kinds of people, right? So, uh, Aristotle talks about what we owe, you know, uh, our parents, right? Precisely because uh, they have given us so much. You know, Aristotle talks about what we owe our teachers, you know, precisely because they have given us so much. He talks about what we owe our uh, our, com- our local community, the polis, for him, right? So it's a, so there's this uh, strong sense of like. I think here is a point where I think I can I can put my finger on this. I'll get back to trees in a moment, but uh, here's a, a point where, where I can really put my finger on this is that I think it's certainly true that here's a view that has very wide purchase in the culture. So much so does it, does it have white purchase that there's empirical studies that confirm this. So like uh, there's, there's um, if uh, there was this, you know, studies, series of studies do, done by, you know, the sociologist Christian Smith, uh, whom you might know, so a sociologist at Notre Dame, and he's looking at emerging adults, you know, 18 to 23 year olds or so, and, you know, the the underlying vision of the human person that many of these uh, emerging adults uh, seem to hold is something like the paramount good is like radical autonomy. I can do whatever I want with my life. Mm-hmm. And it's nice if I want to help other people, but it's uh, it's not much more than nice. It's certainly not required. Getting back to uh, Woman in the Tree, um, you know, I, I don't know if this was her view, um, probably not in so many words, but that view in the culture that has such wide purchase is certainly consistent with what she's doing. It's like, right. hey, if you want to spend your life trying to defend a tree – uh, that's just fine, you know. I'm I'm not certainly not saying that you know ecological considerations are not uh, worthy of mention. They surely are. But where Aristotle uh, might, might have something to say is like, hey, you know, you also have lots of obligations to lots of other people, mm-hmm. um, and those hold whether or not you think it would be a nice thing to do. Right. <laughs> um, so I think that you know he would he would bring some of that into the table. Are you looking for answers to life's biggest questions like, who are we? What does it mean to be a human person? What does it mean to be a Catholic in America today? How can I be a prophetic voice in our culture? The Center for Faith and Culture at the University of St. Thomas in Houston now offers its MA in Faith and Culture online. This program transforms students by immersing you in the historical, cultural, and theological patrimony of the Catholic tradition so that you'll go out into the dominant American culture and leaven it with the good news. Students can audit courses, get an 18-hour certificate, or go for the entire MA program. For more information, Google Center for Faith and Culture, University of St. Thomas. 
Definitely, uh, we 21st century Americans aren't big on obligations these days. <laughs> but let's let's get back to virtues. Yeah. Um, I sort of mentioned our sort of legalistic mindset. Mm. I've often wondered, and I, I, I doubt that there's statistics on this, but yeah. thinking about Fortune 500 companies, you know, mm. how many lawyers work for Fortune? I mean, maybe <laughs> thousands and tens of thousands of lawyers oh work for goodness. Fortune 500 sure. companies. And I wonder... How many ethicists work at those fortune? You know, <laughs> and they're so rich that they obviously could afford one ethicist if they wanted to. Yeah. Um, so, should Christians attempt to shift our public discourse away from legality and and towards a virtue, a, 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 a mindset of virtue? And if so, what what would that sort of look like? Yeah. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that's a huge question. Um, but I I think. Here's, you know, there, there's a, a philosopher who I, whose work I like um, who puts it, I think, in useful terms. Um, so this is you know, Christian Miller, who has done a, a lot of work on, on character. Uh, he notes, I think, usefully that um, when we're talking about virtue language, um, even though it might seem a little bit arcane and removed, it's generally the case that it's often closer to home than we think right so if you think about you know if you have a sister maybe you do maybe you don't uh you might think okay what kind of guy do you want your sister to marry right um you know what kind of uh, father would you want him to be for you know your uh your sister's uh your sister's children right uh what kind of uh children uh, would we want what kind of people would we want our children to be right so this is all virtue language right uh all, or, I, or i should say it's uh, not quite vir- not quite yet virtue language but it is uh speaking to considerations of character mm-hmm. right so so i think uh that's a place where i think lots of ordinary people who might not be christians who might not be catholic uh, who might not be philosophers, uh, can recognize that the kind of person we are matters a lot, right? And I think even in a plural, highly pluralistic society like ours, you know, I think uh, we should not be shy of making claims like, yeah, it's good to be a good citizen, right? <laughs> it's, it's like, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm, I'm not imposing any major moral claims on people, at least not in a way that's, that I don't think is invasive or contrary to our broader culture, right? Mm-hmm. So it's good to be well-informed. It's mm-hmm. good to be truthful. It's good to be respectful of others, right? It's good to be that kind of person, right? So I think uh, I don't, <laughs> if only right so i don't know how much philosophers can do for politicians uh <laughs> but uh but i do know that you know so you and i are in the business of the university right so i, I know that for sure uh we can uh try to be a, a good influence for our students mm-hmm. you know whatever their views are um and i think uh making the very explicit connection in the appropriate context right uh to questions of citizenship is is also important it's like hey look listen like uh, when you get out there, you're you're going to have to deal with people uh, of all kinds of persuasions, with all kinds of beliefs, uh, and you need to live together uh, and flourish together, right? Uh, you're going to need to be a certain kind of person mm-hmm. uh, in order for you to do that, right? So I think, you know, what would it look like to shift our, our public discourse in that direction? Um at the very least, it would mean changing the characters of the people who are involved in the discourse. So I think that's that's one way to start. 
thinking about this. Well, let's take one example that's sort of uh, certainly on the university campus. You just sure. mentioned we're both at the university mm. level. Um, alcohol consumption. Sure. Um, it seems to me that we're always having sort of legalistic discussion. Mm. You know, at what age should someone be allowed yeah. to drink? Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, if we were to shift from that sort of, you know, should it be 21 or should it be 18? Yeah. You know, why can you go to war at 18, but you yeah, can't, you know, yeah. um, uh, drink alcohol till you're 21? What yeah. if, how would that debate itself and our society in general be um, shifted if we came at it from a virtue perspective rather yeah. than that legalistic perspective? Yeah, no, good. Thank you. So uh, I, I think and here I'm I'm. Uh, very self-consciously aware that I'm, what I'm about to say is broadly Aristotelian, but mm-hmm. of course you're not. Uh, Aristotle has plenty to say about temperance, but um, how this applies to 21st century, you know, uh, university culture is a different story. <laughs> so, so I think you know a couple of things that, that seem to me worthwhile. So I think shifting from uh, the legalistic mindset um, begins to really shift the question to what kind of person do you want to be, right? So, so this is. Uh, less a matter of do I play by the rules or not, but it's about what kind of person am I becoming, you know, through the choices that I make, you know. Um, it's like, well, I hate to break it to you, kids. You're going to have to live for yourself, you know, for the rest of your life, right? So, uh, you know, choose wisely yeah. uh, if you want good company. So I, I think uh, even from a the perspective of, uh, just a student himself, mm-hmm. you know, let alone his peers. It's like, you know, you, um, if, you know, presumably there are things that you want out of life mm-hmm. or presumably even there are things that you think you should want out of life, even if you don't want them, right? Yeah. Maybe you think you should want to be a good citizen. Maybe you think you should want to be uh, a good spouse, a good husband or, uh, or a good wife, uh, good father, you know, that kicks us back to the question, what kind of person do you want to be, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I think that's uh, similar to case with, with alcohol consumption. I think that's one way to shift the conversation. I think a second way uh, to shift the, the conversation that's maybe less obviously uh, about virtue, but I think at, the, at its root it is. Um, so going back to this idea that we are you know, social animals, you know, so here's a consideration about the law that I think just about anybody is going to grant whatever their views are, you know, so law shapes culture, right? So law shapes the way we think, uh, law even shapes the way we feel, right? And, um, you know, whether that be, you know, law, you know, federal law, state law, or even we might say campus quote unquote law about this or that, right? So I, I think in addition to the question of, what kind of person uh, do I want to become? It's also, well, what impact do I want to have on the broader culture, right? Um, you know, somebody might say, well, I don't really care what kind of impact I might have on the broader culture. Uh, but there I want to say, well, look, uh, you're either a social animal or you're not, right? Uh, if if you are a social animal, uh, you know, you're, you should be well aware that, you know, you need uh, these communities to flourish in order for you yourself to flourish right uh i think it's a it's a beautiful sign of maturity uh to be able to to recognize that so even if uh a particular person might uh disagree with the drinking age or whatever they might still be guided by considerations of what kind of person do i want to be Mm -hmm. you know do i want to be somebody who uh you know is able to look out for 
the common good and not just for my individual good? Mm-hmm. Uh, do I want to be the kind of person that's uh, able to respect legitimate authorities and so on and so forth, right? So several things that you've mentioned uh, uh, several times already. Yeah. Uh, we are a social animal. Yeah. What kind of person do you yeah. want to be? What does it mean to, flir- to yeah. flourish? Yeah. Um, yeah. Community. Yeah. Um, uh, obligation, responsibility. Yeah, yeah. What kind of citizen do you want to be? Yeah. Uh, all of these things uh, now are at the forefront in our discussions about yeah. how do we react yeah. uh, to government um, uh, restrictions because of COVID. Oh, sure. And just, <laughs> just how do we be a good citizen, yeah. you know, yeah. wearing face masks, what, not wearing face masks. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> has, has Aristotle come to mind in the past few months as, you, as we've been – Addressing all of those things that you've sort of, in a sense, been talking about. What what would Aristotle have to say? Oh my gosh! <laughs> Thanks, Stuart. <laughs> oh gosh, has Aristotle come to mind? Absolutely. You know, actually, so it's funny. So I, I had a, so I taught a course on uh, Aristotle's Ethics this past semester. We read the Ethics from top to bottom. Uh, most of the assignments were fairly traditional assignments, you know, papers, exams, and so forth. But the last, very last um, assignment was an op-ed you know so that so i gave him some guidelines for for writing an op-ed and it's like hey look you know apply you know one or more ideas of aristotle's thinking that we have been studying this semester and um apply this to some aspect of contemporary living and of course we were like in the middle of (laughs) of a pandemic uh i guess we're still in the middle of a pandemic we're in the beginning what seemed to be like the beginnings of a pandemic um at the time so i had students tell me all kinds of very thoughtful things Mm. about aristotle uh and COVID 19 sure you know everything uh ranging from uh you know what what would it look like to put the virtue of generosity, you know, at the core of our thinking about COVID-19, right? So, you know, there might be, may or may not be controversy about what the data does or doesn't say or whatever, but I think things look very differently if you're proceeding not from, I want to do my own thing, but from how do I actually help and serve others mm-hmm. uh, right around me? So so that was one, uh, one bit uh, that, that a student mentioned another bit. That I, that I thought was was thoughtful uh, in thinking about our obligations to others. It might seem a little bit a little bit counterintuitive here, but you know, one student uh, talked about you know in connection to COVID nineteen talked about the epidemic of loneliness, right? Um, and kind of striking, this student mentions you know it's like well gee you know it turns out uh, that if Aristotle's right you know, if I, if I want to feel less lonely, you know, I need to be a better person, right? Mm-hmm. I, it, he doesn't quite put it this way, but it's like, I need to be friendable, right? <laughs> uh, if, if, uh, and I need to be, uh, I need to be uh, the kind of person uh, who others would want to be friends with and who can actually follow through in being friends with others, right? So what, what would Aristotle tell us about uh, the current pandemic? Uh, friendship is important, right? Uh, friendship is really important. You know, we, I mentioned the business about, uh, social animals a lot, as, as you noted, we don't cease to be social animals just because we're all, uh, indoors, right? Um, I'm, I'm hesitant to, to make, you know, any, any particular, uh, give any particular Aristotelian action items, right? But, uh, but I think, uh, whatever we choose to do, uh, putting, uh, putting others, the concerns of others, uh, in the forefront, and recognizing our, our nature as social animals would, would be paramount, right? I'm glad you brought up friendships because this is something in the past few years I've been thinking a lot about. Um, 
I think today in our in our culture, uh, this is one of our sort of disorders, especially when we talk about friendships among men. Um, I think often of of just Justin Timberlake and Jimmy Fallon, who <laughs> uh, I think are a great model for 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 male friendships today, and they've actually gotten a lot of a lot of grief uh, for that. And I, I think that the grief that they've get, they've they've received is is a symptom of really a sickness in our culture. Yeah. Um, why does uh, Aristotle spend so much time talking about friendship? Uh, how can we use his description of friendship as a prophetic critique of how friendships? Are thought of today yeah oh gosh so uh i uh i don't know how much i can say about jimmy fallon or justin timberlake but i can't <laughs> well it's just i mean again it's they're 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 both hollywood's you know stars yeah. but it's clear that they don't have a hollywood friendship like they're real friends yeah, right yeah, yeah, they spend yeah. time together and they're yeah. unapologetic about yeah. it and and i mean when you when i stop and think all right how many uh men in our in our um public yeah can i think of who are really truly friends yes yeah um when you can really see and there's a couple other like lebron james and Dwayne wade um but i mean it it, i think you could have a very small list of of Mm. men who are you can tell are really friends and they're not just using each other in the hollywood sense yeah um uh but but I, but we can just use that as again an example of where yeah. our culture is, and I think Aristotle would have a lot yeah. to say oh, and critique. So what, what what how did he define friendship? Yeah, no good. So you know, for for Aristotle, what's uh, what's you know absolutely required uh, for friendship is the reciprocal willing of goods, right? Uh, so I will your good, you will my good, right? Um, in in some sense, famously, he gives us you know three uh, you know types of friendships, right? So we've got depending on what takes center stage, right? So if uh, the goods that bring us together are pleasant, and that's the basis for the relationship. It's a friendship of pleasure. You know, maybe you and I like playing tennis together. You know, maybe you and I like, you know, reading Augustine together or something like that. Because very pleasant, right? <laughs> so, um, but, or if the goods, as you, you alluded to earlier, are useful, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm a business partner. You know, you're my business partner. I, I help you out. You help me out, right? Um, then this is a friendship of utility, Um and but it, but finally, you know, if the good that brings us together is uh, the good of you know just trying to be the best that we can, right? And genuine concern for the other for their own sake, you know, not because they're pleasant, not because they're useful, uh, but for their own sake in the pursuit of what is genuinely good, you know, that is what Aristotle calls a friendship of virtue, right? And so you know, it's not. That friendships of utility or friendships of pleasure are in any way pejorative. You know, he doesn't think uh, as in bad things. You know, he doesn't think that uh, they're they're bad at all. You know, they're 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 clearly a part of life. But uh, he does think that friendships of virtue are are just better. You know, they're uh, objectively higher. You know, going back to your your point about uh, contemporary culture. Uh, here's something, and I've, and I've seen students react strongly uh, to this in a positive way. It's like this idea of, you know, loving and being loved uh, for your own sake in pursuit of what is genuinely good. 
it's like, well, that's <laughs> that's how we're wired, right? Uh, and and you you mentioned that it's a it's it's kind of a negative uh, aspect, maybe a negative symptom of of our culture. I think if if that's genuinely the view, you know, that uh, men cannot or should not have uh, close friendships, I think that's that's catastrophic. That's mm-hmm. disastrous, you yeah. know, because we're uh, we're wired uh, for that. You know, to give you give you a sense for for, for uh, Aristotle's view here. So he, uh, so what is uh, at the core of virtue friendship is this reciprocal love, this reciprocal willing of the good uh, in a way that's enduring, right? So it's not, you know, he says um, in his chapters on friendship that you know it's not just beginning to treat each other as friends. Uh, that makes a friendship. You know, there there needs to be some time. You know, there needs to be a certain shared history, right? You need to learn about each other. You know, and what is most characteristic of friendship in Aristotle's view? Um, Sue's Dane is the Greek. Pardon. You know, I, I, I probably have a Greek quota here. Uh, so, uh, Sue's Dane, uh, literally uh, living together. Uh, he doesn't mean uh, like living under the same household. Um, but you could translate more loosely, like, you know, spending time, you know, sharing your life, right? This is what's most characteristic of friendship, just spending time with the other person, right? And um, not surprisingly, that that takes time, you know? So so I think, um, you know, the, thinking about the culture here, I don't know, I don't know what uh, Joe Blow or Jane Doe thinks about this, but I can certainly say that the wider culture is generally not conducive to that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all super busy and yeah. everybody's got all these things. Everybody's running at a hundred miles per hour. So I, I remember this, this student who I mentioned earlier, uh, wonderful thing about having bright students is that they, they do your work for you. Right. So, <laughs> uh, the, you know, one of the things that the, that this student, uh, mentioned, it was like, well, gee, you know, uh, it's like, it almost seems like you need to, uh, prioritize friendship the way you might prioritize like health or sleep or something like this. Right. Um, and and I'm thinking, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's like because uh, like like many of those things that are important but not urgent. If you don't make time for it, it's not going to happen. Right. Right. So so I think I think that's. Uh, Can you give an ex- a concrete example of um, what uh, a, a, a friendship of virtue would look like as opposed to the yep. other ver- the other types of friendships that you mentioned yeah. how would that look concretely yeah no good 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 so so i think here's something uh let me name two things um that are pretty concrete uh one of which uh might uh jive better or worse with our current culture and a second which will jive i think very well with our current culture so what is required for uh friendship of virtue um, you need the right moral outlook and you need a shared moral outlook, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, let me give you an example that I think is fairly clear. Um, if you have, say, I have a friend who is a narco. Um, so let's call him Pablo. Uh, so <laughs> suppose that, I, that I'm friends with Pablo in some sense of friends, right? Uh, but that I, you know, I might have a number of objections to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what he does for a living. Um so there's going to be a 
pretty clear limit on how close we can be, mm -hmm. right? Uh, because, you know, his conception of the good might be so different from mine that in trying to will my good, you know, he might do all kinds of atrocious things. Right? And so, okay, Pablo, that's, that's a little too close for comfort, right? So, uh, so what do you, you know, the first thing that we need is, is you need a shared moral outlook mm -hmm. and the part that might jive a little bit less, um, uh, less well with the culture, you need the right moral outlook, right? Mm -hmm. So, of course, that, that comes in degrees. But so all this to say, so that uh, when you've got a uh, the shared moral outlook, you know, you you can uh, essentially help each other, you know, in in the pursuit of virtue, right? So, um, you know, we're we're talking here in in Catholic context. You know, I think very concrete, clear example of this is uh, people who might share the Catholic faith, right? It's like we. Uh, we both uh, might recognize that God is our final end, and we want to kind of share that and help each other with that. Now, that's all still very abstract, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, talking about, you know, uh, you know, the second thing that that I think does jive very well with our culture is just, uh, or at least with what, what I think people in our culture want, not what they do. Uh, the, what does uh, jive very well is this idea of caring for another person for their own sake. Uh, and just spending time, mm -hmm. right? So um, yesterday I had a beer with a good friend, and it was just like, why are we getting together? Just because, mm -hmm. right? It's like, and we are just talking about whatever, what, you know, whatever is going, you know, what's going on with you, what's what's up with this, what's up with that. It's not transactional, right? So I I think, um, you know, being intentional about that kind of thing uh, requires, again, to, to get very concrete, as you noted. Uh, requires what my student mentioned is being you know, intentional about it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, scheduling it in like, like you might schedule going to the gym or whatever else, right? Um, so, and I think especially in in uh, in Catholic contexts, I think that there's there's a lot of room for for growth, right? In uh, in this, and I think um, you know many people many people appreciate that kind of thing. I certainly do. I think that's an important important critique. Um, this idea of a sh uh, friends having a shared moral vision, and that you would critique Pablo because he's not living a flourishing yep. life. That's the exact opposite of what our culture says, yeah. which is if you're my friend, yeah. you have to enable me in whatever I want to do. Oh goodness, yeah. um, because I think this is good, and for yeah. you to critique me is not. Uh, a true vision of love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah you know, yeah. do whatever you want as long as it makes you feel good. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Aristotle is presenting the exact opposite there. Yeah. What I guess I don't know what exactly what the question is, but what then are the implications there? Yeah, yeah. Um, what's what's the next step of 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 these these different visions of of what the responsibility of a friend is to a friend? Yeah. So, are, so are you thinking like if I'm friends with Pablo and <laughs> I, and I I want to be better? Or, or no, right? no. Your response, I guess, your responsibility to Pablo, yeah. uh, our culture would say is yeah. um, to encourage him to do what he wants because uh, he feels that that's what makes him flourish happy or whatever. Happy, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is the exact opposite of what what Aristotle would say. Yeah. No, that's right. So it's interesting. You know, Aristotle has these striking passages. Um, not about Pablo Lenarco, but might as well be, you know. So he's uh, he's talking about how 
if you have a friend uh, who has lost his way, you should try to help him recover his character mm-hmm. uh, more than you would uh, help him recover his property or something mm. like this. It's like, so, you know, my best friend uh, maybe loses his car. You know, my best friend uh, loses some important legal document or whatever. If I'm in a position to help him, I'm going to bend over backwards to help him, right? Um, where Aristotle says, well, suppose he loses his character, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're go- you got to bend over backwards, you know, <laughs> to help your friend, you know, regain his character um you might become a pain in the rear for your friend right uh but aristotle would tell us you know that's uh that's part of what true friendship requires Mm -hmm. right so uh of course aristotle doesn't uh the the passages there um are you know very suggestive he doesn't go uh into as much detail as one would like but i think it's uh you know from from my standpoint uh there's a delicate balance between really wanting to will the good for your friend mm-hmm. and respecting their freedom right so right. so that that's uh, that's a hard balance but i think um from the aristotelian view there's always in the back of your mind is going to be i want the real good for my friend mm-hmm. right so I, I don't want some counterfeit good you know i don't want some cheap thrill for my friend i want the real thing for him this is an example of i often think if you could put aristotle in a time machine and bring him to the 21st century and he could sure. see our culture and we've talked about you know the idea of um uh, uh true love yeah. willing that person uh, yeah. is good yeah uh how different that is from what our culture says today different understanding of friendship i yeah. wonder if his, his his mind would just blow up <laughs> when he would look, if, he, if he were to look around today and, and see um how we're in a sense our American culture is living the exact opposite of what he prescribed. Yeah. Would you would you agree with that? Oh gosh, you know that's hard. Uh, but I, I, you know, what comes to mind is this. You know, there's um, this contrast is probably overdrawn, but overdrawn contrasts are sometimes useful. So, um, famously, you've got you know Plato in the Republic, uh, who is you know wanting this like total overhaul of society. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like we want you know philosophers should be kings, and you know we should share our wives. You know, ask the women how they like that. It's like, and and all all these different things. And in a way, Aristotle's position, and again, this this is overstated, uh, is a little bit closer to the ground, right? Um, And in a way, so I I think uh, maybe a a cheerful reading of, you know, Aristotle's reaction to contemporary culture, uh, insofar as I can envision that, is something like, well, you know, I did tell you that pleasure is corrupting. You know, I did tell you that pleasure appears good when it is not. Uh, and I did tell you uh, that most people are driven primarily by desire for pleasure, right? Um, so, uh, you know, to that extent, you know, if we're talking about, you know, you know, problems with, you know, addiction or the hookup culture or whatever, in some sense, that's no surprise but from another angle, it's like, okay, well, you know, work with what you have, mm-hmm. you know, uh, work with the people around you, right? Um, you know, there, there's uh, these suggestive passages uh, also at the, at the end of the ethics um, where Aristotle notes 
um, rightly, it's like, well, gee, you know, at, at least, uh, you know, a person can help. Uh, I, I forget if he mentions children or friends or just children or just friends, but you can help them. <laughs> you have influence over a certain amount of people, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, to the extent that you can genuinely will their good, you know, that's, that's, we're all better off for it, I think. Uh, let's talk about you for a minute. Um, <clears throat> sure. You, you're, you're dedicating your life to thinking and writing about Aristotle, in yeah. particular his virtues. Yeah. Um, what, what draws you to him? Uh, why, why, is, why is he it, uh, important for you personally, and why is that topic important? Yeah, no, good, good, good. So, so I think um, I remember first reading the ethics when I was a freshman, um, and I remember reading book one, chapter one, and thinking, I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, uh, you know, I went to, to Catholic, Catholic University, uh, and, you know, not surprisingly, you get tidbits of Aristotle in, in different places. Yeah. Um, but I, I think... Uh, one of the things uh, that that did it for me, um, well, a couple things. So one, I, I remember, you know, there, there was a class a couple semesters later where I had a better sense of what was going on. Uh, I remember beginning to read through the ethics and, and just having this sense of like, wow, you know, this is so tremendously rich and I just mm -hmm. want to understand this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you've got, you, you've got this vision of, of this uh, amazing, you know, panorama of what the happy life uh, is supposed to look like. And, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, I just want to understand this. But I think also too, you know, I was, I was reading, uh, a reasonable amount of of St. Thomas as an undergrad, and I and I think he was also um, just trying to understand Thomas. Mm -hmm. It's like because there's so much Aristotle, you know, sure. throughout the work of Aquinas, you know, implicit or explicit. And I figured it's like you know what, you know, let me let me just uh, spend some time, you know, trying trying to think about Aristotle. Mm -hmm. um, I think also too, as as I kind of met, you know grew uh, grew a little bit more in in my my own philosophical training i guess you know seeing uh the the kind of respect uh and admiration that aristotle drew from all kinds of people mm -hmm. you know so not just the thomists right but you know all, all all kinds of secular thinkers who you know take aristotle very seriously right and uh you know that that's that i find that attractive right because it's i think you know, going back to the business about Martin Luther, right? So uh, it's like, look, you know, uh, if uh, this, you know, to the Aristotelian is a reflection of our common human nature, right? Uh, this this recognition that, you know, that friendship is a good, that truth is a good, all, all these things. And I, I think uh, even more specifically, so I, I was very interested, and I am very interested um, in, you know, Aristotle's understanding of desire, right? So, because I, I think at the end of the day, you know, one way of thinking about virtue is about uh, shaping the way we love, right? And what we love. In a way, it's very Augustinian, mm -hmm. right? You, you wouldn't quite put it in those terms, but I think it is. Um, I'd mentioned at the beginning that you're the executive director of the Houston Institute. Yep. Uh, what is the Houston Institute and what is its mission? Yeah, so the Houston Institute is an academic nonprofit. Uh, the mission of the Houston Institute is to help the people of uh, Rice University think deeply about the best way to live. So how do we do that? You know, so we do this primarily through, you know, reading groups. Uh, we sponsor lectures. We sponsor uh, four-credit courses in, in the philosophy department. 
And even though we're, you know, we're very much uh, have a particular interest in the natural law tradition, we are deliberately pluralistic. So, um, you know, the, the, the more diverse our audience is, the better, right? So uh, to the extent that people want to have uh, serious conversations about big ideas uh, with fun people, mm-hmm. um, I hope we can bring bring fun people uh it's uh i think it's it's the more the merrier so uh so that's what we do um we've uh we've been running uh, a number of reading groups over the summer that's been delightful you know we're about to start uh you know a, a three-week series on cicero's on duties mm-hmm. uh you know starting tonight so that'll be that'll be lots of fun good well dr signs thank you very much for your time i really do appreciate it thanks for having me Stuart. Are you looking for answers to life's biggest questions like, who are we? What does it mean to be a human person? What does it mean to be a Catholic in America today? How can I be a prophetic voice in our culture? The Center for Faith and Culture at the University of St. Thomas in Houston now offers its MA in Faith and Culture online. This program transforms students by immersing you in the historical, cultural, and theological patrimony of the Catholic tradition so that you'll go out into the dominant American culture and leaven it with the good news. Students can audit courses, get an 18-hour certificate, or go for the entire MA program. For more information, Google Center for Faith and Culture, the University of St. Thomas.